Hello. Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing pretty good on this very cold Saturday morning in Elk Grove, California. It's very cold also in Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> it's in the 30s today. How about where you are? I think it's probably the upper 30s by now. I don't want to toggle over and check on my iPhone because I don't want to disconnect us. So yeah, just know that it's cold. I know it's cold and I cannot wait till it warms up. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. This is Hope for Today and I'm your host, Hope Dozier. And I have a special podcast today. We're going to be talking about the history of the megachurch in the United States. And we're going to start with talking about Sister Amy Simple McPherson. And Ron, you, your family is from California. And Sister Amy built that huge temple. What was it called? Temple it's Angelus? Angelus Temple. A-N- Angelus Temple. A-N-G-E-L-U-S. For, you know, as in Los Angeles, right? Just the Angelus part. Angelus right. Temple. But, but, the, but the spelling is different. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Los Angeles means what? City Uh, of Angels. City of Angels. And so I kind of thought that's probably why she named the temple Angelus, because that's probably Spanish for angels. Am I right? I believe so. But since I don't speak Spanish, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Me either. So if I got that that wrong, (laughs) (laughs) I could have gotten that wrong. Forgive me for those people who know Spanish and I don't. But that's just kind of where I was making the connection with the name and then the city and everything. But your family and you've you've lived in California, what, all your life? Well, I've lived just about half of my life, actually. But yeah, my my great grandmother Lula Sterling and her husband they migrated from from um, Prescott, Arkansas, about nineteen fourteen, I remember, mm-hmm. and they relocated to Los Angeles. And of course, black people have always been a very spiritual people, mm-hmm. and um, I've heard stories that my great-grandmother took my late 106-year-old maternal grandmother to Angela's Temple to see Amy's Temple McPherson. Wow. I can't wait to get into that because I know you have a little story about that. And, you know, as I was researching a little bit more about Sister Amy, as she was called Sister Amy, or she went by Sister. Um, There's still a lot of people today that consider her to be one of the great generals of the faith, Um, even though she was very scandalous. There's a lot of scandal involved in her life that she was a part of, that she created, or what have you. Um, And we see a lot of that today with these celebrity pastors, and it's nothing new. So Sister Amy was born in 1890, and she became uh, this megachurch pastor 
1923. So I would say she was one of the first, if not the first megachurch pastors in the United States. So whatever these celebrity pastors are doing now, she kind of had the blueprint for, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, when we get a little bit more into Sister Amy, there are things when you, you look at her past that you could say as a Christian, well, I agree with her. I agree with the fact that she did that. And then there are some things that you just can't agree with as a Christian. And I think this is the thing that causes great confusion for the body of Christ because we see the man or woman of God on the platform and, and we love what they're saying and they have that charisma that pulls us in and maybe they have a gift of prophecy or a gift of healing. And the Bible says that the gifts of the spirit are without repentance. So we might see them operating in those things and that, that even pulls us in. And then we become very confused when they're exposed with scandal. And sometimes it really divides the body of Christ where you have one side that is, you know, defending the, the man or woman of God. And then you have this other side that's exposing and saying, no, you need to be aware of this because it's not lining up in scripture. So we're going to talk about a little bit about her, her past and how she came to become the mega church pastor that she was uh, leading up to her death. And you had a really good, you made a really good point with that definition of sheep. Do you have it out where you can read it again? Yes. Okay. I have it out right here. Before we started, I was thinking about the word sheep and why we in the body of Christ, congregates, Christians, whatever you want to call us, why are we so susceptible to being misled by pastors? Yeah. And um, I looked up the characteristics of sheep and they are gentle, they're quiet, they're innocent animals, and they do not give their shepherds a lot of problems. And they are easily led. And they're grazers. Mm-hmm. Unlike the goats, which like the browse. So it's endemic. It's probably part of our characteristic as believers in Christ to exhibit those traits as a sheep. Yes. Yes. And, and that could be a good thing and a bad thing. It's, a, it's like a two-edged sword, Hope. Mm-hmm. I think we need to keep in mind of we can be sheep, but who is the ultimate shepherd? And that's something that you and I were talking about a couple of days ago when I said, you know, the more these things are exposed, the more these celebrity pastors are exposed, I no longer become shocked. I no longer get Um, disappointed. I mean, yeah, it is disappointing. It is. But I no longer feel that let down in that shock because I am a devotee to nobody but Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. And if we keep in mind that we do not esteem anyone else, Amy Simple McPherson wasn't the good shepherd 
you know, Joel Osteen is not the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He said that my sheep know my voice and they follow me and they will not follow anyone else's voice. And we have to remember that and keep that as, you know, the, the, the main central point when we're talking about being sheep, who is, who is ultimately our shepherd? Because when we learn these stories about, about people, um, like I said, it's going to be so disappointing to some people that it, it may even pull them out of, of church. They may even get angry at God. And you can only do that, and that can only happen if that man or woman of God represented something bigger in your life than they should have, if that makes sense. It does. I want to interject some historical context when you referenced earlier about Amy Simple McPherson being considered a general. Mm -hmm. She was the founding of the... International Church of the Foursquare Gospel, ICFG. And um, they have an interesting timeline on their website where it starts from November 1910, where when Amy Sybil McPherson uh, returned from China as a 20-year-old widow and how she started the denomination and and where she established the Foursquare Church in 1923. So of the several Pentecostal denominations, she's the founding of one of them. And that's why she is so considered a general. Mm -hmm. Yes, that church is still going. That, That actually is considered a denomination. Am I correct? That is correct. And we have to realize that all denominations, they're man made. Yes, it's 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 really about our 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 relationship with the Lord. It's about a personal relationship, and it should should be predicated on that, mm-hmm. and not based upon a denomination. Absolutely. And as we're reading and and talking about this today, you know, just keep in mind that the Bible clearly warns us about faults doctrines and false teachers and there may be false prophets and ministers but that does not mean that the word of God is false that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't real Jesus is very real so again we can't misplace that anger and and, and assume that the word of God is not true because these people who say they represent it actually had different intentions. And, you know, you look at Amy and you think, did she start off with bad intentions? Amy started off at 17 years old. She didn't start her ministry as an adult. She started her ministry. Actually, a lot of sources said uh, she was on her way to a play. And she went and decided to go to some uh, revival that was having that was happening in her town in Canada. And uh, this was during the time where the Azusa Street 
revival was happening in California. So it was starting to kind of sweep the world, this Holy Ghost revival that was happening. And it had made its way to Canada. And this is where she met her first husband by the last name Simple. I think his first name was Robert. I could be wrong. But he was preaching that night. And sources say that she had been questioning the Bible at that time because evolution was starting in the schools. And she became really confused. She didn't know if she should accept science, which was Darwinism, the evolution theory, or if she should believe what she had always been taught, which was the Bible. And she kind of made her decision when she saw her husband, where she saw the man that would become her husband. Um, He was a charismatic Pentecostal preacher and they got married and she, that was who she went to China with. You just mentioned China. They were there for two years. She was eight months pregnant and he died of malaria and dysentery because at the time there was a practice where the farmers in China were fertilizing their crops with um, human feces and it was causing a lot of infections and sicknesses and, and all that stuff to happen at the time. And that's really what they think caused his death. And so then after that, she came back to the United States. She actually came to the United States and went to New York. And she got a job at the Salvation Army. Her mother came from Canada to live with her, help her raise her little girl. And then she met her second husband by the last name McPherson. And they moved to Rhode Island. And Amy got mysteriously sick. This was the first also recorded breakdown. She had several breakdowns, mental breakdowns throughout her life. This was one of the first recorded breakdowns that she had. And during this time, she said that she heard the voice of God telling her, it's time for you to go. I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember verbatim what she said. And she tells her second husband, Mr. McPherson, she said, I've done it your way for so long. Now, will you do it mine? And so then she starts her traveling ministry. And Sister Amy was very charismatic. She could draw a a crowd in. They said she was a born actress. She was a natural showman. And it really drew a lot of people to her. And while on the road, she was just traveling state to state city to city, town to town. She would get some of the local people to kind of help her set up her tents and she would have services there. Um, Her mother helped her buy a car and they had, you know, something like, where will you spend eternity written on the car? So they're kind of saying, you know, like she was very good with her marketing because those kind of phrases at that time, Jesus is coming soon. Where are you going to spend eternity? That kind of stuff was just never really done or said before. Um, And that was printed on her car. So that would just kind of draw a lot of attention to her. And then it was during this time that her second husband, McPherson, he decided that he didn't like this, this life of traveling anymore with Amy. He felt like he was playing second fiddle to her ministry and she was kind of the star of the show and and it was just really hard for him to kind of like compete. He felt like he was, you know, the heel, so to speak. So he got a divorce. He wanted a divorce and he he left Amy. And then it was after this point uh, she went to California and she started 
the four square church and the building of the Angelus temple there, which one source said the Angelus temple cost $1.5 million in 1923 to construct, which is an astronomical amount of money for that time. There was another source that gave a completely different number that says, I think it was like 300 or 350,000, which is still a lot of money for that time. Um, so anyway, it was during this time in Los Angeles where, you know, celebrity culture is there and, they, you know, a lot of theatrical things. And so Amy actually switched up her methods and she stopped speaking in tongues. She stopped doing the things that she was doing as the Pentecostals were, you know, the, the cornerstone. That was the cornerstone of, of what she did in the beginning and the Pentecostals was how she started her faith, uh, her preaching as a Pentecostal faith. And then she just turned away from it. So a lot of people criticized her and even said, maybe she's not even saved anymore. Maybe she's not even really a Christian because she went from speaking in tongues and people getting up and, and shouting and laying out in the spirit to actually not allowing them to do it in service. There was a woman who got up one time in her service and she started, you know, running up and down the aisles, shouting and praising God. And she actually had that woman removed. So she went from, from that to being very theatrical and she put on these huge productions in her church Sunday night. She actually put on plays Typically, uh, you know, from the Bible, you know, like Samson and Delilah. And, you know, of course, it was the Easter play and stuff like that. But she used props, sound effects, lights, smoke. Learning about her and her church and the theatrics that she used kind of reminded me of the Hillsong Church. Mm-hmm. I can I. I want to interject when you were talking about the construction of Angela's Temple. I was doing some reading on Wikipedia and um, essentially that church, and I, I know you mentioned it before, but I want to reemphasize this was the first mega church built in the United States. Yes. And she managed to raise $250,000 from wealthy followers to finance its construction. Yeah. And when it was uh, uh, constructed, its 125 foot wide dome was the largest in North America. And yeah. attendance in McPherson's day reached as much as 10,000 people. And according to their church records, they received 40 million visitors within the first seven years. So, she gravitated from her roots and it seemed like that her success was more based upon her. And as you indicated before I interjected these thoughts, it was based upon theatrics. Yes. She, it was a marketing um, scheme, if you want, want to call it that, because she was in the land of the theatrical 
in Los Angeles. I mean, this is kind of what they did. And it really drew people in. I mean, they wanted to be entertained. She did so much. She was so smart with marketing. This lady would even put on actual parades for her church and have like full size floats that she would stand on and, and wave to the people. And this was another thing to draw in those crowds to a church because this was before social media. This was the twenties. This was before TV and Amy also pioneered radio. radio. Yes. I was going to thank you for saying that because uh, I mean, we look at social media today. We look at TV uh, newspapers uh, and radio, but she was the first to really, really yes. publicize the gospel on radio. That was her primary or principal medium. Good point. Yes. And what people might not understand is she had her own radio station in that church. And at the time, there was maybe like some 200,000 radio set. So it was the very beginning of that industry of radio. And she really knew how to pick that up and market it and use it for her own. She even had, um, so what she would do is her shows, well, I guess you could call it shows. Her sermons would be broadcast on the radio every time Uh she had a uh sermon. Her plays would be broadcasted. And then she also had a theatrical production of some sort of show where it was um, that was done on the radio. It was fictional. And so then she had actors playing these parts of the adventures of either an evangelist or a missionary. So she really had kind of like her own station for sermons, entertainment. She was an entire brand. Can I? Yeah, go ahead. I want to interject the power of radio at that time. Mm -hmm. Radio was so powerful. Orson Welles did a very, very dramatic production of War of the Worlds, like Mm. Martians coming to invade. Yes, I remember that. So convincing. People were like, I yeah. think people even committed suicide. They thought it was real. Yes, they, they thought, thought it was, it was real. really happening. Yeah, and and just the power of radio. Um, you can listen to old dramatic uh, westerns on the radio. Um, my mom used to take. Uh, she would listen to baseball and take score based, based listening to the radio. So the radio was the principal medium is a very powerful medium back in those days mm-hmm. yes it was huge and it was so, it was new to everyone yeah so it was this brand new commodity this you know thing that people really loved I mean just think about for for our time when when social media was new and think about how addicting or addictive it is you know to have a social media account and you know you're always on it right That's kind of how radio was back then. Actually, she was trying to get her own, you know, when when television became new. um, She died before, you know, people had television sets in their homes because I think that was around the 50s. But 
they were beginning television programs towards the end of the 40s or the mid 40s, actually. And if she had lived, she probably would have been the very first televangelist as well. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was on the forefront. She was on. Yeah, she was. a Amy was a pioneer in every sense of the word. I mean, she pioneered the mega church. She was huge with understanding how to market the church. She she knew that. She was very theatrical, and a lot of people don't know this either, but even when she was living, she actually had a Broadway play about uh, her life. And, and she did the Broadway play after her infamous scandal that we'll get into in just a second. And a lot of people got upset because she didn't include the scandal of her disappearance in the play. And people still had a lot of questions about that. Um, what happened with that. So the play wasn't a huge production, but right now, actually, there's, you know, Broadway musicals and plays about this woman who was supposedly a woman of God. So Amy actually started off as a, a, a late teen, 17 years old. She felt like she had the gift of healing she was operating in the Pentecostal faith of, of healing and speaking in tongues. And she had a lot of charisma and showmanship. But somewhere along that way, when she went to Los Angeles, she decided to turn her ministry into a business. And this is where she hit that spiritual downfall. And things started to really go downhill in her life because she took that turn. And when we're looking now at the mega churches today, we see that they're using similar tactics in marketing and everything that Amy used back in the 20s, 30s, and even 40s. And some people believe that her little disappearance act was actually for marketing and self-promoting her church as well. And if that's the case, then she literally had no shame. But there was also another um, factor involved in that disappearance too. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about that. So it was May 18th, 1926. Amy and her assistant had gone to Venice Beach and she was out in the water and her assistant said that she lost sight of Amy. She, she didn't see, she couldn't find her anymore. And she, she panicked. She went uh, and tried to find her. She solicited help to try to find her. Amy actually was supposed to be preaching that night at church. Um, they couldn't find her. So her mother, who was called Kennedy or Minnie Kennedy, she actually took over and did the sermon that night. Outside the temple, there were reporters who had caught wind of what had happened. And, you know, of course, her congregates on the inside were wondering where Sister Amy was. And at that point, her mother had not mentioned that she was missing or anything that happened. And so some of the congregants from the inside could hear the reporters shouting into the window that Amy was missing, that a and they were saying things like Amy drowned. So people actually started crying in the church because they thought 
that their beloved pastor had drowned in at the beach that day. And so I guess hearing the commotion at the end of the sermon, um, Ma Kennedy, as she was called, let the congregants know that Amy drowned. She actually said Amy drowned because they couldn't find her. They assumed that she had drowned. So for 30 days, for about 30 days, her um, devotees and everyone, supporters, were at the beach, you know, holding visual for Amy. And I don't know if they were actually looking for her or some people thought that maybe she drowned. They were just trying to find her body too. That was another thing. They had detectives out there, you know, trying to find out what happened to Amy. And then fast forward, you know, I think it was like five weeks later, her mother, there's a knock on the door and it's letting her know that her daughter had resurfaced in Mexico Mm. and actually was in the hospital in Arizona. Amy's mom, you know, I, I, don't, I think she was on the phone with her before she actually went to the hospital in California and Amy was in the hospital in Arizona. So that was a little bit of a trip to take to, to actually get to Amy. But she was asking questions like, what was the name of the dog, the, uh, dog on the farm? And, and, you know, only questions that Amy would know. So she determined that was, in fact, her daughter. So her thought And so they get to the hospital and Amy has this elaborate story about how she was on the beach and she, she's coming up to the shore and a couple approaches her and asks her to pray for their baby girl who was in the car who had just died or was dying. And Amy gets to the car and they chloroform her or chlorophyll her. How do you say that word? They use, you know what I'm talking about? The chemical uh, that knocks you out. Yeah, we'll just say that they knocked her out. <laughs> they knocked her out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was her account that they used. They had that. Put it to her nose, knocked her out. She came to as they were putting her in this like shack in Mexico. She was like, they burned my fingers. They were, you know, with a lighter. They were questioning me. We never, they never found out what they were questioning her for, what they had kidnapped her for. There were so many holes in her story. Her shoes, her clothes weren't dirty. There was nothing to indicate from her actual items that she was wearing that she had walked from Mexico to wherever it was she was found, you know, that she had even been in the desert. Um, So nobody believed her. And even the detective that came to talk to her about the kidnapping, he said he felt like Amy was a fake and a phony. Um, Coincidentally, the man that ran her radio station also went missing at the same time that Amy did. Um, And also there have been rumors that Amy was having an affair with this man in the church. He was married also. When they would be up in the sound booth, Amy was not aware that their voices would carry, you know, like the microphones and everything would kind of like pick it up and people in the church. Cause like you said, that temple was huge. That was a big building, but mm-hmm. people could actually hear their conversations. And they said that Amy was 
speaking to him a little inappropriately for that not being her husband and him actually being married too. So he went missing at the same time she did. He vehemently denied that he was with Amy um, during this time, but believe that they believe that she was either having an affair with him or that she faked the entire publicity to bring people into the church, but they didn't believe that she actually had been kidnapped. So the DA went against her for faking her own kidnapping. And suddenly those charges were dropped. Uh, the DA at the time actually had taken bribe money for an unrelated case to not prosecute that case. And he was actually arrested. Um, so he couldn't prosecute Amy anyway. The, the next DA actually did not prosecute her. And it was said that Amy actually went and visited that DA who got arrested when he was in jail. So they felt like Amy, where well, they said that Amy had some, some blackmail information because they were wondering how these charges got dropped so quickly. And so she was accused of actually having blackmail information against some of these people for, you know, the criminal activities that they were and also what was his name Hurst William Randolph Hurst was it yeah she actually had some dirt on him too and so they just left her alone it was also said that Amy had was having an affair with silent film actor Charlie Chaplin so she had a few scandals going on you want to interject anything? Yeah, I, I'm listening to this drama. All of this, and it's just so, uh, it, it sounds so, I don't know. There's just, there's so much evil, sin, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, surrounding her. And yet, it's really telling that this is the basis of this large denomination yeah international four square um denomination it's mm -hmm. just i don't know um hope it's just like i i'm mindful of the fact how after jesus fed five thousand men not including women and children with 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 the loaves and the fish and how after that incident the people tried to make jesus more than what he was what 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 his mission was all about they tried to make him popular they tried to make mm -hmm. him like a king they tried to exploit him and he shunned from the limelight whereas that's right McSibyl mcpherson and other um mega church pastors they gravitated toward the limelight and if you look at how jesus conducted himself as a minister as a pastor as a shepherd, uh -huh. he it was it wasn't about him. It was about what God was doing through him, and that's what should our lesson be. And yes. looking at her life, and looking at the mega church pastors and their persona, it, it, is it about them? Is it about their books? Is it mm -hmm. about their their what you call it? Um, 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 
when you go to uh, oh yeah conferences or seminar. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think Jesus would have charged money <laughs> for them for, for the people to have to no. preach about mm-hmm. the Sermon on the Mount? You know, um, no. and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with with people um, making money from what God has given them, but when that becomes the focus, mm-hmm. that's what the problem is. Yeah, let's talk about that because um, first of all. Let, let me just talk about Jesus is our, our blueprint. When we're looking at the word of God to see what is the formula? Is there a formula? Is there, is there a, a way that we need to conduct ourselves when we are preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel? We look to Jesus and we look to the apostles for that blueprint. And of course, he became popular because people knew about the healings that would happen and they knew about the casting out of demons that would happen but he never intentionally drew a crowd to witness those things as a matter of fact he would send people out sometimes before he would raise someone from the dead because he didn't want those distractions and he also in scripture, remember the little boy that had seizures and would throw himself in the fire and try to drown himself in the water. And the father was very upset because the apostle, yeah, the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh huh. Scripture says that when Jesus was praying for him, he looked up and he saw the crowd coming and he cast that demon out before the crowd got there before the crowd got too big. He didn't want that attention. He would sometimes tell people not to say anything, you know, Mm -hmm. because his time was not come yet, you know? And then sometimes he would say, you know, because the man that had Legion wanted to follow Jesus after he was delivered from the demons. Mm -hmm. And, And then Jesus sent him in the opposite direction. He said, no, you go, and you tell people what God has done for you. And then Jesus and the disciples went the other way. Did you hear what you just said? What did I say? You said Jesus told them to tell what God Uh did for them. The attention on on his heavenly father. Absolutely. that's, That's the blueprint. That's what we, that's everything that we do. From the recording of this podcast to your writing or my writing or speaking or sharing, it should always be about focusing on Jesus. Absolutely. Not not our talents or not what we've accomplished or not where we've been, what we've done. I mean, Mm -hmm. you -hmm. know, what, what property we've amassed and what we've accomplished because when we all die, I'm sitting in a house here where my my mom went to heaven last June and my grandmother went to heaven in 2015. All the stuff yeah. that they have accumulated is still here. That's right. And that puts things in perspective for you. It does. It really does. It re- and, and I've known this before, Hope. And I've known mm-hmm. this before of uh, people listening to this. And you probably, and you know it too. We all know it. We all know we can't take anything with us. 
But when someone close to us, like the most treasured possession my mom owned was her Bible and she couldn't take it with her. Yeah. But she had it in, she had it in her. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we need. That's what we carry. That's what we should carry always in us. That it's also for our, it's for our spiritual and um, emotional and even at times physical protection. You have to have that word and you have to know when these things happen and uh, you become confused and you don't know how to react with some highly respect turns out to be a, a man at best. It could be very disconcerting. Sometimes these people have been, yeah. And we know sometimes these people have been criminals at worst. Yeah. But yeah. at, at best, they're at best. They're just, they're just businessmen and women. That's all you guys. Okay. So we become very confused. We don't, okay you have that word of god in you then you already know that this is something you were told that you need to look out for and and like we just said you know jesus always jesus always wanted to direct people to god his father he said a lot i'm doing the work of my father i'm doing the work of the father he even said when he was questioned about casting out demons cast out demons with the of God heaven has come upon you know what I'm saying like he always just to reiterate your point he always you know refocused that attention on was in a showman see that's the blueprint that's what we he was and, and even when he was hanging on the cross he didn't say, I forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yeah. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Yes. That, that's profound. Father. Right I mean, I mean. Absolutely. In his very last moments of being alive on the cross. He was focusing on God. He was focusing mm-hmm. on God. Now, let's just talk very quickly because I want, I want to also ask you about your grandmother that went to this temple, but I want to talk very quickly because there's some people who may be thinking this right now. Is it okay for us to have, to make money off the gospel? Let's talk about that. There's a few examples. If we're looking in scripture, it's not okay about this. Paul said mm-hmm. that God ordained the priests that they would make a living preaching the gospel not a kid preaching the gospel <laughs> not that they would that become is. wealthy yeah 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 from preaching the gospel okay also deuteronomy eight eighteen says that god gives us the power to get wealth it's not that we have to be poor and i think this prosperity gospel that's confused people is that people think in extremes one or two ways that we've got to give money and sow a seed so that we can become wealthy and that that's what God wants us to do is be wealthy. And then you have the other side that thinks it's more holy to be poor and neither one of those is true. Deuteronomy 8.18 says God gives us the power to get wealth, but it does not say that he gives us that power to get wealth off the back of the church. 
when we have examples in scripture of people who were wealthy, um, if they weren't royalty, they were in a business that didn't have anything to do preaching the gospel, didn't have anything mm-hmm. to do with the church. Lydia, who made fine linens of purple, she was a, but she obtained her wealth from um, being a merchant and selling those purple linens or the purple garments because purple was a dye that was difficult to make. The production of that purple dye was the by using sea snails and they had to go out and they had to get these snails you know never know how many snails you're going to get it it wasn't something easy to come by and so it was a very expensive and smelly garment (laughs) it didn't smell good either so only royalty and those who had a lot of money wealthy were the ones that could buy those garments from Lydia. And we know that Lydia helped Peter. She helped the apostles in preaching the gospel. Um, and, but she didn't acquire her wealth through the church. Also, we see that uh, King Lemuel's mother's idea of a virtual woman that is found, a virtuous woman, excuse me, that is found in Proverbs 31 tells us that this woman was wealthy enough to have servants, right? Mm-hmm. But she was also an entrepreneur. She considered the field and she bought it. She bought land. Okay. Also, again, not acquiring wealth from the church, not acquiring wealth from preaching the gospel. And then, of course, we have the example of what Jesus did when he saw merchants in the temple. He fashioned a whip, flipped tables, and chased them out with that whip. And he said that they should not turn his father's house into a den of thieves. That took a lot of energy right there. Yeah. Um, we don't know. I mean, those livestock animals, the size, how many of the animals, just the size of the temple. I mean, I've been to Israel uh, three times in that whole Temple Mount area and the Western Wall, that's a pretty large area. Yeah. And we don't know how many merchants there were. And, you know, so yeah, Jesus was exerting a lot of energy when he, <laughs> when that, when he did all that. Oh my gosh, I know. And can you imagine that the shock of people when he did that? Because, I mean, it's not like he was known for any type of violent outburst, but that was something that created a righteous indignation because he said it is written that my father's house will be a house of prayer not a place of business and so when we're going into these mega churches we are seeing a business and we see in scripture that not only is it uh, not scriptural but it was something that created a violent reaction of righteous indignation from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you need any other example? The confusion that people have from this, and we could trace this also back to Miss Sister Amy, is that these churches tend to do a lot of charitable work. And 
so then they can say, well, we practice what we preach. I heard Joel Osteen say this. They do a lot of charitable work. They're big givers that he, he acquires millions and millions of dollars a year. And then he gives a tiny portion of that because you can look up, uh, their finance information in different churches. You could look up, see how much money they get and then how much money they use in charity. And because they do charitable work, which doesn't really take a lot of money out of their pocket. Okay. Because they do that charitable work. People say, well, this is such a a good deed. This is a good church to be a part of. And if you stay up under business businesses like that then there will be spiritual repercussions that can happen one you you're probably not going to do a lot of growing spiritual spiritual growing in god two you're probably not going to get the deliverance that you need in your life in order to do that growing in god when we're hindered spiritually and we need to be delivered it's a block it keeps us from obtaining the things that, that we need our lives. When we're born, our lives are not meant for us to, to live our lives solely for ourselves. We're here for others. We're here to advance the kingdom of God and and focusing so much actually keeps us from doing that it stops us from doing that because we can't get over these personal problems in order to focus on other people and advancing the kingdom so these churches literally are not your spiritual storehouse at all in this sense and you may have every bit of sincerity in your heart for jesus you may love him with all realness and sincerity in you. And that doesn't mean because you have a real good intent that the leaders of these church, these churches do. That's true. Very true. Um, So uh, why don't you go ahead? ahead. Yeah. Point of information. I've got to leave in about 10 minutes. Um, Okay. Yeah. But I just wanted to share that. Um, after my grandmother went to Amy M- Simple McPherson's uh, church, I don't know how many times she went there. You know, after our elders go, I always think, oh, man, I wish I had asked them this or talked to them about that. But we'll reconnect in heaven. But anyway, but my grandmother, she didn't really stay anchored in, in the Lord after that experience um she was still spiritual she's always been a good person always a a, a giving loving person but she just wasn't anchored in the lord as she could have been as she should have been uh she uh gravitated toward uh, a cult i am cult that was popular during the 40s late 40s early 50s and after that she saw some shenanigans in that cult and she just mm-hmm. wasn't with the Lord until 1969 when we, uh, my dad was in the Air Force at that time and he wanted her to become his dependent. So she lived with us and that's when she connected with the Lord 
rededicated her life to God. And that's when she was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking other tongues. And from 1969, mm-hmm. until the Lord took her home in 2015, she was with the Lord. So the point I'm trying to make Praise is God. that the fruit of being in that ministry at that time wasn't, uh, um, um, it didn't really bear any fruit at that time. It wasn't until years later where she was, when she accepted the Lord. I can't say that for everybody, of course, because as we know that when people preach the gospel, even though they may be, they may preach the gospel and they may not be sincere, the word that they preach won't come Mm -hmm. back to the Lord void. And that's, that's, that's really praise God for that. Amen. Well, and also the Bible says that you would train a child in the way that they will go in the end, they will not depart from it. So if that word was the way they were trained, whether they got it at whatever church or home, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Back in. His word will not return void. That his word yes. is alive. It's real power. It's sharper than a two-edged sword dividing both bone and marrow. And it is powerful. Not people will come back to that foundation because that word went out. Praise. Your grandmother had a happy ending. Completely will lose. Like you said that your grandmother had kind of gone off the rails for a little bit after being in that church. Well, what's interesting was known lots of mental breakdowns up into her death. Mm. And she was getting married right before she heard the call the gospel and start her ministry um and to her death she was known for having these panic attacks and mental breakdowns ready you kind of question what spirit is she operating in when she's having a lot of these breakdowns because she was known for being a fake a faith healer, yet she was having breakdowns. We find out later she died in 1944. Her ministry still survived after the whole disappearance act that happened. And she was on the road doing a revival called Story of My. And she. Her son went in the next morning. Up, and he found that she was unconscious. She, uh, but she was not conscious. Called the ambulance, and then she was pronounced dead. At first, I thought maybe she had um had a heart The autopsy showed that she had died of an overdose, which is a sedative that people took to help them go to sleep. At that time, uppers and downers were being prescribed heavily to movie stars. And um, 
in California. So it was something that doctors were giving out like, you know, ibuprofen for headaches or something. They, it, it wouldn't have been thought of at the time that Amy was taking an illicit drug or being addicted to some sort of illicit drug or anything, because it was a very common thing that these people would take barbiturates to help them go to sleep. And she took too many. So they think it was accidental. That's how she died. So it was a very tragic story. But again, her ministry or the church that she started still lives on today. Moral of the story, this is the beginning of the megachurch in the United States. And this is the business model that we have pastors carrying on today in the megachurch. Were you going to interject something? No, but uh, I think that our our lesson learned from this lesson mm-hmm. is don't focus on the person. Amen. Don't focus on the Lord. Just like Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He redirected his attention to his heavenly Father, to God, even when he was hanging on the cross, and and so people who are get caught up in and Franklin Graham or Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Creflo Dollar, etc., etc., etc. It's all about Jesus and not Creflo, not Joel, not Franklin. And if they're true men and women of God, they would be telling their parishioners the same thing. I agree. Absolutely. You know, this is a revelation. I I feel like every generation gets probably a new revelation. And we're in the time right now where we're seeing reformation. And that message of reformation is not always well received. Let's just say it's not well received, period. If you're a prophet that's carrying a message of reformation, you're not going to be popular. So we're not in it for for popularity. I mean, just think about um, Martin Luther when he reformed the church in his time um, and everything that he went through. So we're in another time message of reformation. And what needs to be reformed right now in the church isn't there isn't anything bad about having a space that can fill a lot of people so they can hear the gospel. What's wrong is a den of thieves. What's wrong is that we've turned the church into a business and a company, and they're following a business model and marketing strategies instead of following the and we know this because there are so many things excluded from their message. And that's the best part. That's the best scenario. And in another podcast, we can get to, you know, the fact that some of these people actually use hypnotism mm. on the congregants. And they actually use tricks of people who are hypnotists. In order to perform certain things, certain miracles, in order to, uh, you know, obtain wealth. And uh, we were talking about Marjo, who was a man who became 
uh, an actor later on in the 70s, but he started off as a child. He was ordained minister at four or five, and his parents used him as a money man. Um, off the backs of Christians and we won't get into that but there's a lot to be said because in the 70s he had a documentary where he actually revealed the tricks that were used and you can look now at some of these televangelists still doing these same things even though it was exposed in the 70s and people still haven't actually you know caught on to it understand is that God is very intentional on judging this type of situation that's happening in the church. In 2018, he told me the of judgment that those in church that did not repent, this was a fire that none escaped. And the word of God says that he doesn't want perish but all come to repentance so i believe that this word of reformation is that time sentence that god is leaving open before that judgment falls because it begins in the house of the lord so if you're running a business business a church you better make sure that that's exactly what you are because jesus said house will be a house of prayer and you need to line up your model and your marketing strategies, but you need to line up with the blueprint that Jesus gave us for what the church is. Leave it at that and we'll go ahead. I know. You- but I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Also, this brief history of the very first mega church in the United States with Amy Simple McPherson. And listen, the Bible says, search a matter out. If you want to learn more about Amy, there's a lot out there about her. So you can um, see for yourself. Do you have any last things that you want to say, Ron, before we close up? No, um, I think this was a very um, interesting and historical look at um, a, a woman that I knew about, but I've learned a lot about her the past couple of days. And I didn't know that she was the first person to start a mega church in, in, in the United States. Yeah. A lot of fascinating facts about sister Amy. So a lot of lessons to learn from that, but you guys, thank you so much for joining us today for hope for today. And uh, we hope that you have a wonderful and blessed rest of the day and stay tuned for my next series, hopefully coming up next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. And thanks, Ron, for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a very educational experience. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Goodbye. Bye-bye.